Welcome everyone to the How to Get the Most Out of College podcast. There's a lot of talk about where to go to college, but not nearly enough about how to go to college. And it's the everyday decisions that drive your success. I'm your host, Elliot Felix. I've been a consultant to more than 100 colleges and universities, helping them improve their student experience. And I'm the author of How to Get the Most Out of College, where I take what I've learned about how college works and make it work for you. Design thinking is such a useful skill. You're, you're understanding people, you're making connections, you're trying things out. You can use it in school, at work, in your life. And I'm so excited to dig into this topic with Julia Lang, who's a professor of practice and who's the Associate Director of Life Design and Career Planning at Tulane University's Phyllis Taylor Center for Social Innovation and Design Thinking. Welcome, Julia. Hello, good morning, happy to be here. Tell us a little bit about design thinking and how did you get started with it? For us at the Taylor Center, design thinking is about helping folks tackle challenges, thinking about how you can approach a social or environmental challenge by really understanding the users that you're trying to support. And so at the Taylor Center, we tackle a wide variety of social and environmental challenges, both on campus and off campus with community partners, where we're just supporting a process that is allowing us to uncover what are some underlying challenges? How can we really better understand the issue? How can we center the people who are trying to solve the issue as the experts in that process? And then come up with a lot of potential ideas to then build some experiments to test. So instead of doing a bunch of research on your computer that's completely separate from the people that you're working with, it's centering those people as the designers in the process and then building small experiments to test the waters before over-investing time or energy or money to then really learn what works, what doesn't work, how can you pivot or tweak the idea to build something that people actually really want and need and it's going to be useful to them. First, creating something in isolation that then you put out there and realize this does not have the people's needs centered and it's not going to be an effective solution. I love the idea of working with people to solve their own problems and making those solutions something that you can test and refine and scale up versus, you know, do it in a vacuum with no input in the abstract, you know, and then have a big reveal and then, you know, face plant. I would love to hear an example of what's a challenge that you're working with a community group on. And then maybe we can talk about how people can apply this, not just to a community group, but, you know, to their own life. Yeah. So at the Taylor Center, we've worked with a wide variety of partners, some on campus, just using the design thinking process and problem solving methodology has been everything from improving the onboarding experience for staff and faculty that are new hires to the university, to thinking about how might we improve bicycle safety on campus. We actually had a group of students and faculty tackle um, sexual assault on campus and do a bunch of different interviews and focus groups and really kind of dig into what is a pretty sensitive topic. And then we've worked with off-campus community partners such as Playbill NOLA, which is an imagination playground in Central City to help them rethink the way that they can best meet the local community needs. We've worked with local food delivery services and then I also run a program for graduate students called the Changemaker Institute that's focused on helping students build a business with social or environmental impact. And we also use design thinking working with those students. So the first part of that program is doing user discovery and having folks do a lot of interviews and observations and shadowing to really better understand the issue that they're trying to tackle. And then 
listening to that and pivoting their idea before trying to pitch or defend the idea that they have, but in that way, building something that people need and want, or maybe not building anything at all, right? Realizing through the process that their idea is not needed or not wanted or exists in some other form, and then joining forces with other change agents instead of being married to their idea. So we often say to fall in love with the problem, not your solution, because your solution will likely and hopefully change as you begin to talk to more people and really get a better understanding of what that problem is. That's such great advice. Life design and career planning is your area of focus. Talk to us a little bit about what that means and how design thinking relates to designing your life. Yeah. So design thinking, when you're helping folks solve problems or tackle problems, I won't say solve, is centering the user. In life design, that user is the student themselves. And so we go through the same problem-solving methodology of really, first of all, accepting where you are, what are the constraints? So not where you want to be, not where, I often say with my students, not where a parent wants you to be or a guidance counselor or an advisor, but where you actually are in the process. Beginning to empathize, so better understanding your own unique skills and strengths and beginning to really tap into and understand the field or different fields that you might be interested in. Defining a few potential pathways. A lot of my students have analysis paralysis where they don't know where to go or what to do, so they don't do anything at all. So in life design, we narrow down a few concrete pathways to explore via our life design sketches, which I can talk about later. But essentially that is what's top of mind. What do you just assume you're going to do? What would you do if that fell through? AI takes over. You thought you were going to be a doctor. There's no need for doctors. What would you do next? And then what would you do if there were no constraints? If no one would think less of you, if money were no object, if image were no object, and if you were not bound by any forms of oppression, what would you do? Not saying that oppression doesn't exist. It definitely does. We get a lot into that in our classes, but we want students to begin to brainstorm beyond that. And then building some experiments. So getting ideas out of your head and into the world. So for instance, I had a student recently who her whole life, she loves talking to people. She just assumed that she wanted to be a social worker or a therapist. She always was that person her friends talked to. And so she was like, yeah, absolutely. This is what I'm going to do. Okay, great. Let's build some prototypes. Let's experiment before you actually spend all this money applying to graduate school, moving across the country, spending a few years of your life. Let's experiment with it. So she scheduled a few life design interviews, which are basically just relationship building conversations, trying to get a sense of what a field is like with three different therapists. And what she found, which was very surprising to her, is that these therapists that had a private practice actually found their work pretty isolating because it was always unbalanced between them and their clients. Like they did not have professional peers. They were the ones leading and helping and coaching their clients. But in a private practice, they had no peers of their own. And she realized that that actually was not the work atmosphere that she wants and that she needs. And in the exploration of her skills and interests, she surfaced that she actually loves science and has always really excelled at science, but didn't really think much of it. That piece about oppressive structures, she just always felt a little blown off as a woman and just didn't think it was something that she'd be good at. But then through more prototype conversations and experiences, she thought that working in a hospital might actually be a really great route for her. So then she started prototyping, I want to be a nurse, and then realized that actually wasn't exactly what she wanted to do. But long story short, 
through talking with a lot of people, asking them what other jobs exist, what are some pathways that you considered or that you've seen other people go into that are different from what you initially thought. She ended up going to become a chaplain. She grew up in a pretty diverse community with different faith backgrounds. And she realized that that was actually an amazing way for her to have authentic conversations with people, hold space in times of crisis, but also be held in a really dynamic and eclectic work atmosphere in a hospital that allows her to have far more coworkers and connections than if she had a private practice. That's such a great story of doing that exploration in small, manageable bits before you go back to school and you get an MSW and then you realize you don't want to be a social worker. I love that idea. What are some questions that students can ask when they're doing these life design interviews, when they're talking to people that maybe have the job or the career path that they think they might want or might be a fit for them? Yeah, it's really just about uncovering what a pathway might look like. So we tell students if they end up talking about themselves or if it starts feeling like a job interview, stop it right then. It's not about the student. It's about the person that you're talking to. So tell me about your pathway. How did you get from point A to point B? We always tell students to do their research. Don't ask a question that you can find on someone's LinkedIn, but tease out questions that maybe are not so evident about how they made decisions or pivots how they learned more about a field that was new to them or different, what they wish they would have known, what is unexpected that they wouldn't have known ahead of time about their job, what they love about their job, what has been unexpected or what has been challenging about their field, where they see their field going, like where they see opportunities in the future. And it's really based on students' own interests and curiosities, but Asking questions that allow you to really see more about what a path might be. And so a little bit back to what I was talking about before is that I really see life design as just a process in a way that folks can systematically examine where they are, what resources they have available, what matters to them, and then identify some clear steps to begin exploring and imagining what might be possible next. So it's not about leaping into the unknown. I think sometimes life design and design thinking, it's a bad reputation when people say, well, just try things out, just test it out. There can be a lot of privilege in that of like, oh, I think I want to go, go do this unpaid internship. Exactly. I'm just going to go yeah. move across the country and do this thing for weeks or months without getting paid. And I say, no, it's not about leaping into the unknown. I really actually cringe when I hear people say, you lost your job, just try something new. But rather, prototyping is about testing the waters and exploring different pathways without overinvesting time or money or pivoting or just jumping ship blindly. So I really see it as about giving yourself permission to think more broadly than you may have done so in the past and then dip your toe into a bunch of potential ideas to learn more about what a different route could look like. So it really... Yeah, I think it's a much safer way to explore and brainstorm and ideate and also build relationships with people because there's actually some really interesting data emerging that students are kind of going about this whole life design thing in not the most effective way, meaning that 90% of students spend most of their job in internship search applying online, but the success rate of getting an interview that way is only 2%. And you're actually 12 times more likely to get the position when you have an internal advocate. And by that, I mean someone that's in the organization, someone that you've already had a connection with or a relationship to. And so that's why these prototype conversations are really just a chance to build a relationship 
with people in different fields. And on top of that, only 20% of jobs and internships are actually advertised. So we call the rest of that 80% the hidden job market, which can be really challenging, especially for students that don't have a lot of social capital. Maybe they're first-generation college students. They don't have a lot of connections through their family or community. And so that's why in our classes, we also provide a lot of tools and templates and ways that students can tap into alumni or find other people that they can begin to build these relationships with to both understand what a path might be like and also just to meet people. So it's very common that one of these prototype conversations then leads to a job or internship down the line. I see that every single semester that I teach these classes. That's such great advice that it's not just about the information. It's also about the relationship that you get and can build from these conversations. It, you know, it reminds me of the importance of working on real world projects, doing service learning projects. So you're not just like doing the marketing plan for your class in the abstract. You're working with a community group and the research on that is so overwhelmingly positive that not only do you get to make an impact, but then you get to meet those folks. Maybe that becomes an internship. Maybe they become a mentor that's associated with a higher salary and getting hired faster. So thinking about this as, you know, the two for one of it's not just the experience, it's not just the information, but it's also the relationship is so important. What else can students do? What are some other prototypes? We've mentioned internships. We've mentioned a project with a community group. We've talked about the life design interview. What are some of your other favorite prototyping activities? Yeah. So a prototype can either be a conversation, which we've talked about, or some sort of experience in the world. So if students have a chance to shadow for a few hours. I had a student recently that really was interested in going to admissions and just contacted Tulane Admissions and asked if they could sit in on a few meetings. That then led to getting an invitation to join in for a trip. It was actually a weekend trip where they were going, the admissions team was going to do a recruitment event. And they invited the student along because the student had already had already sat in on a few meetings. Built a relationship. Exactly. Just, and that's just like you were talking about doing one thing that then led to another opportunity. And that student now actually just got an offer to work in admissions. But even if they hadn't gotten that offer and they wanted to work in admissions in the future, they now have intentionally built their resume. Right. They've seen where their gaps are and what sort of experiences someone in admissions might be looking for, like experience at a recruitment event. And then they've intentionally built that to get the sort of experience that they want. I also have sometimes students that will prototype by doing something on their own, meaning I had a student that thought they might want to be a photographer and a writer for a newspaper. And so we helped them develop a plan where we live in New Orleans or Tulane is in New Orleans, which is this really dynamic city with events happening all the time. And through a few of their prototype conversations with journalists, the journalists were talking about they're always asked to do different assignments and it's this quick turnaround. They have to go and photograph and then write something up and send it to the newspaper. So I worked with a student to make that their prototype, that they had 24 hours to go out and do a mock assignment for themselves. So go to an event in New Orleans, photograph it, write it up. And then they could have just ended there, but they, they ended up pitching it to the student newspaper, the Hullabaloo, as a further way to prototype what that process might be like. And they learned a lot. They loved it. They thought it was really fun, but they also realized it was a lot more high stress than they originally anticipated. But it actually did lead them to realize that they did love it. And they think that the more they do it, the better they might get at it. 
And again, through that, it got published. And now that person is writing occasionally for the newspaper. And so they're also creating articles that are adding to their portfolio for if they do decide they want to go that route in the future. That's awesome. We talked about some of the key ideas and principles in terms of co-creating and accepting where you are and playing what if, if constraints were removed and prototyping things as a way to test the waters in a more safe way in terms of time and money and so forth. I'd love to end with your tips for students to put all this advice into practice. If they are prototyping, if they are shadowing, if they are doing projects, if they are interviewing folks, what are some tips to have these things go well and get the most out of them? Well, I think the first step is to allow yourself the time and space to actually do this work. I often am told from students in my class that they've gone through a decade plus of school and they've never actually been given the space or time to take a step back off of this ladder of kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, to high school, to college, and just think about what they actually want. So I think in general in our society, we rarely have the opportunity to take a step back and really reflect on our values, what meaningful work would mean to us and what is possible. And if you take the time to do that and then intentionally research and discover and talk to people who are doing work that excites you, that you can be the designer, that you can consciously build your way into an entirely different future than what you might have created if you did not take the time to examine your biases and assumptions about the working world, to think creatively and broadly about what is possible, and to build experiments to begin testing those ideas. And so that's really what we do. It's not rocket science. It's just giving the time and space to do that deep reflection, to build some experiments, and then to really listen to what you like and what you don't like. So I think back to your question, my advice is to have these conversations, to build these prototypes, but to really listen to what you don't like. A discarded prototype is just as valuable as a successful one. Sometimes I'll tell my students, the chair I'm sitting in, the designer isn't mourning over the first prototype of this chair that maybe was a little uncomfortable or it wasn't the right height. They built something that works better. And so just in that same way, students can use this problem-solving methodology whenever they're at a crossroad in life. And I've used it again and again in the course of my life when I feel like I'm, I don't really know which way to go, that I can take a step back, see where I'm at, build some experiments, and then really listen to what is working or not working and where I still need to learn more. And in that way, I can proactively build my next step. I'm not going to build something now that's going to work in 10 years or 20 years or 30 years, right? Because the world is constantly evolving and changing. We've seen that with the pandemic. But if you allow yourself to use this process, it gives you a toolkit that you can use again and again whenever you're at a crossroad in life. That's such great insight and advice. And what I love about this is from the college and university side, one clear trend is them giving students more time to take the step back and to do the work by not looking at career planning, career exploration, career development as this extra thing they do in spare time they don't have, but rather, you know, make it a class, make it part of the curriculum, get credit for it. You can do all the things you're saying and benefit for it. So thank you so much, Julia. This was awesome. Good luck helping students design their life. It's a fascinating process and appreciate all the great work you're doing. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It's been fun to chat life design.
Thanks everyone for listening. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcasts and check out elliotfelix.com for all the episodes and the articles I've written, talks I've given, and more information about the book. Mm -hmm.